good morning, Plum Creek. I want to welcome everybody here today, and I do want to say a quick hi to Cherie Harper. It's an amazing answer to prayer to see you today. So, uh, praise God. Well, today is the last day of our series called How to Make a Monster Listen, and it's been great to hear these stories and testimonies from Plum Creek families over the last few weeks. I really appreciate how they've shown us that money doesn't have to be a monster when we handle it God's way. As I was listening to Ben and Caitlin tell their story, I noticed that they hit on several of the big ideas that we've talked about in this series. And in case you haven't been here or in case you need a review, let's do a quick recap. In week one, we started out with this foundational truth. God owns it all. We have to start here if we want to have real financial freedom. Because whatever I think of as mine, it's not really mine. It all belongs to God. In week two of this series, we talked about contentment. And we saw that great good comes from learning to be content. It's so easy to fall into the trap of wanting more and feeling like we always need more. But the Bible teaches us that we can relax because God is good He does provide what we need, and we can be content right now as things are. Now, last Sunday, we covered five basic money principles from the Bible, and you could sum up those five principles with just one big idea. All of us reap what we sow. And you remember what that means? It means the decisions we make in the present have an impact on our future. If we make wise decisions today, we're setting ourselves up to be blessed down the road. If we make foolish decisions, it's just like planting bad seeds. It's like planting trouble. So that's where we've been. And today, we're going to expand on the final money principle that we covered last week. Principle number five was to practice generosity. Or as Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. As we read through the Bible... It is pretty clear that God wants us to be generous. He wants us to be able to let go of what we have in order to worship Him and to bless others. And I could point to lots of places in Scripture that talk about this, but I want to start with something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, look closely at that verse. What did Jesus tell us to do here? Really, it's a one-word command, isn't it? He, He simply says, give. And then the rest of the verse tells us what happens when we follow that command. Now, this verse appears in the middle of a passage where Jesus is teaching in front of a big crowd He's not preaching a sermon about giving. He's covering all kinds of topics. And then he makes this one statement and quickly moves on to something else. So we don't get a lot of specifics here, do we? Uh, We might want to ask some follow-up questions, right? Like, hey, Jesus, when, when you say give, do you mean money or time or both? And, um... If you do want me to give money, how much should I give? How often should I give? Who should I be giving to? And and what if I'm having a hard time paying my bills? Is it okay to reduce my giving or hit pause for a while? I really could use some guidelines here, Jesus. Now, the truth is, 
we, we can get some specifics when we look at other teachings from Jesus or the rest of the Bible. But I wanted to start with this verse precisely because it's not about the details. It's really about an attitude. Jesus simply says, give. And then what's the result? If I adopt this attitude and I go through life looking for opportunities to be generous, and then I give as much as I can, whenever I can, what's going to happen? According to Jesus, when you are a consistently generous person, your generosity will come back around to you. And the more you bless others, the more you'll be blessed yourself. Now, I want to stop right there for a second and ask, do you believe what Jesus says here? Do you believe it? He says that open hands are better than closed hands. He says that all of us would be better off if we stop trying to hold on to what we've got and we let go and we give more away. So again, I'm asking you, do you believe him? Well, maybe you do and maybe you don't. But I know that many of us here at Plum Creek are completely convinced that Jesus is speaking the truth. We're convinced because we've seen it. We've experienced it. We can remember specific times when God stretched us and challenged us to step out on faith and give in a way that was uncomfortable or even scary. And you know what happened? We learned that God is faithful. He does take care of us. He does provide what we need. And when we give, God blesses us in ways that we never could have imagined ahead of time. When we give, God uses us to play a small role in his bigger story. He works through our generosity to change lives and, and bring people to him. It's so humbling to be a part of that. But you know what? We've only seen a fraction of what God can do. Because all of us have room to grow when it comes to generosity. And that's what I'm praying for today. Even though Plum Creek has been a very generous church in the past, I'm praying that we'll take it to a whole new level. It's like what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. Paul said, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So this is the big question I'd like to think about today. What would God do through all of us if we all grow to excel in this area of generosity? Now, to me, that's a fun question to consider. I think about some of the things I've seen here in the past. One example would be what happened last March on our Child Sponsorship Sunday. If you were here, I'm sure you remember it. On that day, we told the story of what God is doing through a ministry called Missions of Hope. It's based in Africa, over in Nairobi, Kenya. Missions of Hope is led by a staff of Kenyans who go into the slums of Nairobi and other communities, and they help children and families overcome poverty of all kinds, physical, relational, and especially spiritual poverty. Now, I went to Kenya back in 2017, and I saw what Missions of Hope is doing, and I knew that Plum Creek could be a part of that. So we came together as a church to sponsor as many children as possible. And we were told that a church of our size might expect to sponsor 50 or so children. But today, Plum Creek is sponsoring 81 children, which is huge. The cost to sponsor a child is $38 a month, and that means over a one-year period, 
almost $37,000 is going out from Plum Creek to show compassion in the name of Christ on the other side of the world. None of that is included in our regular budget. Those sponsorships are completely outside our regular offerings. Now, currently, we're organizing a team that will go to Kenya later this year, but most of us will never see the work of this mission in person. So why did so many of you choose to give? Well, I believe that many of us at Plum Creek are serious about following what God has commanded. We want to take on this attitude of giving. We want generosity to be a a new kind of normal in our lives. And whenever God leads us to share some of what we have, we don't want to hold back. We want to say, yes, we do believe God commands this. It's what he wants, but it's also the best way to live. So we're not done yet. We want to keep growing. We want to see what God will do. And in the time that we have left here, I want to look at some places in Scripture where God teaches us how to excel in generosity. And in case you get a little nervous when you hear a preacher talk about giving, let me just put your mind at ease. I'm not up here trying to manipulate anybody. If you're new to Plum Creek, or especially if you're just exploring Christianity, you're welcome to listen in. But this message is not directed at you. This message is a challenge for followers of Jesus at Plum Creek to grow in generosity because I know that's what God wants. And it's not something he wants from us. It's something he wants for us. So let's look at a couple of specific questions about giving, and then we'll find some answers in the Bible. First, we'll deal with the why. Why should I give? What's my motivation? Uh, Do I give because I'm obligated, just because God commanded me to do it? Or do I give because it's good for me, because Jesus told me that uh, I'll get some kind of reward? Well, it is true that God commands us to give. It's also true that Jesus says we'll be blessed when we give. But I would say that both obligation and rewards are secondary reasons. We see the best motivation in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, Paul is still speaking to the church at Corinth here, and he says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. That's a phrase I've heard a lot over the years. But where does that cheerfulness come from? And and why does God love it? Well, think about it this way. What is it that God really wants? Does he want our money? Of course not. What was the big idea from the first week of this series? God owns it all. He doesn't need our money because it's already his. So what is it that he wants? We can answer that question by looking at a short story in Mark chapter 12. Now, I'm going to read this, and as I do, I want you to follow along and see if you can figure out what God wants from us. Mark 12, 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. 
So right there, we have proof that God doesn't really care about the amount of money that we give. Lots of rich people gave large amounts, but Jesus only calls attention to this one poor widow. And why? What did she do that the others didn't do? She gave a sacrifice, didn't she? What she gave really cost her something. Now, why would, have God, why would God have more appreciation for someone who gives sacrificially? Well, there's, there's a famous quote that applies in this situation. The quote says, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Now, I'm not exactly sure who said that for the first time, but whoever it was, they hit the nail on the head. And that statement applies directly to our story. Think about those rich people who gave a large offering at the temple. Did they have a genuine love for God? It's possible that they did. But it's also possible that they didn't. They could have been giving just for show or or because it made them feel righteous. It's hard to tell because they were giving out of their surplus, out of wealth, not out of their need. But this widow's offering, it really cost her something. It was a sacrifice. And one definition of the word sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. You can never love without giving. And this widow's gift was proof that she truly loved God. At the end of the day, that's what God really wants. God doesn't want your money. It's all his anyway. What he wants is your heart. So how about us? How can we get to the point where we love God as much as the woman in this story? Is that possible? Well, sure it's possible when we understand what Jesus has done for us. In 1 John 3.16 we see this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So it's the same principle that we saw in the story of the widow, but this time it works in the opposite direction. How do you know that God loves you? It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus looked at you and he decided that you are worth dying for. He sacrificed something that he loved, his own life, for something he loved more, you, for the chance to be with you forever. And then when you accept what Jesus has done for you and and you give your life to him, he changes you. He wipes away your sins, he gives you the promise of eternal life, and he transforms your heart by the power of his spirit. And when you truly experience that life change, you are filled with love and gratitude for what God has done So back to what we asked earlier. Why is it that God loves a cheerful giver? Well, cheerful giving is the natural response of a heart that's been changed by the love of Christ. Cheerful giving is tangible proof that you have given your heart to God. That's what he wanted in the first place. So all of that to say... Love and gratitude should be our primary motivation for being generous. Did God command us to give? Sure. Uh, Will we be rewarded? Absolutely. But in the end, our giving should flow naturally out of our love for God. So we've established the primary motivation for giving. So now it's time to get into a few specifics. Let's ask a very broad question. Where and how should I give? 
There's obviously a lot we could say about this, but I once heard a distinction that's very helpful. A preacher named Andy Stanley talks about the difference between a 3S giver and a 3P giver. I've mentioned this before, but it's been a while, so let me give you an overview. See, what comes naturally to most of us is 3S giving. And the three S's are spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. Now, this type of giver is sort of living in the moment, like at Christmas time when you see somebody standing by the red bucket and ringing a bell, and you think, sure, I'll drop a little something in. A three S giver has no pre-planned amount or schedule for giving. It's, it's just a little here and a little there. And that can make you feel like a generous person, but that approach normally translates into a fairly small or sparing amount of total giving. But a 3P giver does things very differently, and this is actually the biblical method. 3P giving is based on priority. You give to God first, and then percentage. You have a predetermined amount, and then it's also progressive. You make it a goal to grow give more and more over time. And we can see the difference right away. 3P giving is intentional. There is a plan. You hear that over in 1 Corinthians 16, where the Apostle Paul is still coaching the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul says, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Do you hear the planning in that? Hear the intentionality in that? Uh, Spontaneous and sporadic giving will not help you become a more generous person. you got to have a plan. And like I said, all three of these P's have a biblical basis. Let's look at that first one, priority. Where do we get this idea of giving to God first? Well, the pattern goes back to the Old Testament. Under the law system, the people of Israel were required to give what was called a first fruits offering. We see one reference to that over in Proverbs chapter 3, which says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So this is kind of like an Old Testament version of give and it will be given to you. But the specific instruction here is to give to God first before you give anywhere else, before you pay any other bills. Now, to be clear, there is no direct command in the New Testament requiring Christians to give a first fruits offering. And it is true that followers of Jesus are not under the law system. We're under grace. So we're not bound by a lot of the ceremonial guidelines from the days of ancient Israel. But remember, our motivation goes beyond obligation or fear or reward. We're motivated by gratitude and love, right? So if love is our motivation and we've truly given God the number one place in our lives, would we not be even more inclined to give to God first? I do believe that we would. So that's the principle of priority. But let's move on to the second P, percentage. And this is where it gets interesting because now we're talking about the specific amount of money that we give. And how do we determine that? Well, sometimes we approach this issue by asking, how much of my money do I want to give to God? But we need to be careful, because that's the mindset of someone who's not thinking about that first big idea. God owns it all. And that one just keeps coming up, doesn't it? But we do have to remind ourselves of this truth, 
because it's a mindset that does not come naturally to us. If you think back to the video we saw earlier with Ben and Caitlin, there was a turning point in their story. Did you catch that? Ben was talking about the old days, and he said, we weren't looking at it as God's money. We were still looking at it as our money. And then once that flip-flopped, that's when things really changed. So before you make any decision about what percentage to give, throw out that old question. Instead of asking, how much of my money do I want to give to God? A better question is, how much of God's money does he want me to save and spend on myself? And, and then what's left over after that? That's a totally different perspective, isn't it? When I'm asking that question, I recognize that I'm not the owner of what I have. I'm just a manager, a, a steward of God's gifts. All right, so this is all good, but eventually we do have to mention a specific percentage, don't we? And, and really, this whole issue is very similar to what I said about first fruits. The Old Testament has a lot of passages where Israel is instructed to give a tithe to God. And a tithe is simply 10% of your income. The word tithe means 10%. So if you only give 5%, that's not a tithe. That's giving 5%. So today, does God expect followers of Jesus to tithe? Well, again, we are under grace. But let's go back to that motivation of love and gratitude. If that's what's driving me, am I looking to give as little as possible or as much as possible? After all, it's still God's money. And how much of that do I really need for myself and for my family? That is a challenging thought, isn't it? How much money is enough? There are lots of ways to answer that question. You could listen to the first billionaire in American history. You know who that was? The first billionaire was a man named John D. Rockefeller. This guy was crazy rich. And uh, someone once asked Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? And you know what he said? He said, just a little bit more. That's one way to look at it. And if you take Rockefeller's approach, you never have enough, and that makes it very difficult to give. But let's go to a different example. John Wesley was a well-known preacher from England back in the 1700s. Wesley is a model of what we call progressive giving. He made a decision that he was going to limit his standard of living so that he could grow in his standard of giving. The first year after he made that decision, his income was 30 pounds. This is England. And at that point, uh, 30 pounds really wasn't that much money. He figured out that he could live on 28 pounds. So he gave away two. Now, the second year, his income doubled to 60 pounds. But he could still live on 28. So he gave away 32, over 50%. Next year, he earned 90 pounds. So he gave away 68. When our income rises... Normally, our expenses rise at the same rate, but Wesley didn't operate that way. By the end of his life, he was making as much as 1,400 pounds a year, but his expenses rarely went above 30 pounds. So for him, a tithe was not a goal that you reach and then you quit. He left that 10% in the dust. And when all was said and done, he was giving 98% of his income away. 
And see, that's one reason why the system of grace is so much better than the law system. If we're operating with that law mentality, we're thinking, all right, what's the least I have to do for God to accept me and say that I've done enough? But if we're motivated by a real love for Christ and a love for others, we learn to follow the example of that widow at the temple. We learn to excel in the grace of giving. So no, I will not give you a a legalistic requirement of what percentage to give. But I will tell you that in our family, we think of a tithe as kind of a floor level of giving, not the ceiling. And we're teaching our kids using the 10-10-80 plan as a starting point. Have you heard of this 10-10-80 plan? Here's how it works. You take whatever money comes in, and then you give the first 10% to God. Then you save 10%, and then you live on the remaining 80%. I see that as a good starting point for anyone, and, and then we can be progressive and grow from there. So priority, percentage, and progressive. Those are the P's of 3P giving. But before I close, let's go back to that question we asked at the beginning. What would God do through all of us if we grow to excel in generosity? Do you have an answer for that? The truth is, the possibilities are mind-boggling. God could do all kinds of things through Plum Creek as we become a more generous church. And I'm going to tell you about one opportunity at the end of the service today. But one way to dream about future possibilities is to pay attention to what God is already doing. And you know, there are so many great things happening around here, we actually have a hard time communicating all of it. But I did want to give one specific example of how God is working through generous people here. And it's something you may not be aware of. Last Sunday, I asked all of you to pray for our country. Now, we've seen some disturbing news coming from places like New York, where certain people just don't seem to value the life of a baby that happens to be unborn or unwanted. And I would ask that you keep praying, because I am seeing a window of opportunity here. All of a sudden, People who were not thinking about this issue are now waking up to the fact that it is, it's wrong to take the life of an innocent child. So I'm thankful for that awareness, and I pray that God uses this window as a time when our nation will develop some moral clarity on this issue. And praying is so important, but at the same time, let's also ask, how might God use a church like Plum Creek to help people choose and value life? Well, one of our strategies here is to partner with people who are doing good work for the kingdom of God. We do that with missionaries in other countries, as well as ministries close to home. One of the ministries we love to work with is the New Hope Center, which is a group that provides support for anyone facing an unplanned pregnancy. They not only encourage young moms to choose life for their child, they also provide parenting classes for mothers and fathers after the baby arrives. They offer counseling. They point people to the grace of Jesus, and they do so much more. So what's the Plum Creek connection? Well, this is very cool. Because of generous people giving at this church, Plum Creek was in a position a few years ago to purchase a building down in Falmouth. And not long after that, the New Hope Center was looking to open a new location in Falmouth. And our church Because of people giving here, we were ready to say, hey, you guys can use our building rent-free. That was a way for Plum Creek to pay that generosity forward. 
So the new location has been open for a while now, and it's been going great. But on top of that, just recently, someone passed away and left a gift that was designated to pay off the mortgage on that building. So the Falmouth building is completely paid for. The New Hope Center is able to do ministry there because people here have learned to excel in the grace of giving. Lives are being blessed and lives are literally being saved because God is using his people to do his work. And you know what that does in my heart? It inspires me to be more giving. It inspires me to ask God what more he wants to do through me. It it is so amazing that God not only loves us and he offers us grace, but he also chooses to work with us, work through us to be a blessing for others. Generosity is not something he wants from us. It's something he wants for us. And only he knows what he'll do through us as we grow in generosity. But let's find out. Let's find out. Let's see how generous we can be. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you so much for being the good God that you are. I thank you for your generosity which is completely amazing. It's it's so much more than any of us deserve. We thank you for the way you have sacrificed for us so that we can know you love us. You've proven it. Thank you for how you are are willing to, to use us to be a small part of your big story. So Lord, I pray that we will all grow in this. We'll grow to be more generous as as a church and as individuals. And I pray that we'll just continue to see you working in ways that we couldn't have imagined or anticipated. And Lord, if there's anyone here who who needs to accept your extravagant grace for the first time, and they they haven't done that, Lord, I pray that uh, they will sense your calling and that they will respond. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.